0: Hey, good morning from Grace Community Church. Glad you could uh, join us today as you uh, tune in. And uh, we are a church who does expository teaching and preaching, which is verse-by-verse teaching, explaining what the passages are. And we are glad to do that, glad to get into the Scripture. Uh, We have been doing the book of Luke for uh, a good couple of years or so, probably more than that. Uh, We continue on. We're getting near the end of uh, Luke as we are in the Passion Week. Matter of fact, it is Thursday of that week where there is the Passover. Last week we celebrated Resurrection Day and we actually went up ahead about three days in chronological time because it was Resurrection Day and you have to do a message uh, dealing with the resurrection. So we did that. Now what we're going to do is go back three days to the Thursday. The, uh, it will be that evening that there will be a Passover and then later on he will be arrested. So that's where we're at in our study of uh, the book of Luke. And uh, I want to tell you this is an exciting passage that we're going to be dealing with today. Uh, it's Thursday... Of that week, it's preparation day for the Passover. The Passover lamb is going to be eaten along with uh, a meal. And uh, it's going to be celebrated by Jesus and the disciples. This really will be the last Passover in true actuality. Uh, Luke is wanting to impress upon us that Jesus is the Passover lamb. And it is connected with his work on the cross, which is actually going to be the very next day, which would be Friday there. So uh, it is very instrumental, this section here, about the teaching of what the Passover lamb is about. Um, Exodus 12 is a place where you can learn about the original first Passover. As a matter of fact, early Christian preachers would preach the death and the resurrection often out of Exodus chapter 12. It's the story of the Passover lamb and Israel's exodus from Egypt. Now why in the world would early Christian preachers preach out of Exodus 12 dealing with the death and resurrection of Christ? Well, they listened to Paul in 1 Corinthians where it says that Jesus is our Passover. He's the fulfillment of that lamb. So it's definitely connected uh, as far as Jesus is concerned with that lamb, the true Passover lamb. And that's the focus of our message today. It's so deep and rich in the material that's involved. And we'll look at it historically and we're going to look at The Passover Seder. We're calling this Christ and the Passover Seder today. From the Passover, we're taught that the sacrifice had to be an unblemished lamb. And they would do this year after year after year. It's almost been like 1,400 years up to the time of Christ. And there never been... A satisfactory sacrifice. Even though those lambs were unblemished, it was not satisfactory. So they had to do it continually, year after year, in the sacrifice. Until the Lamb of God, and that's Jesus, who comes and takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to die, he is God's sacrifice. God is satisfied with this perfect sacrifice that is offered on behalf of all who are going to be believers. God pours out His wrath upon His Son. There at the cross, His justice is satisfied and He grants to those who trust in Him. He gives them forgiveness and salvation. Adoption. So many things happen. Because of the cross and that sacrifice. That's the theme of Scripture interwoven all the way from the Old to the New Testament. It's no accident that Christ gets arrest, arrested and then crucified. It's no accident at all that he died. Matter of fact, it was all planned out by God in the minutest details. Incredible story it is. And we're thankful for that story. So, as we get ready to open up into Luke 22:7 through 13, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for you are a great God. Your plan of redemption is truly incredible. We are in awe. and as we look at this passage today, we pray that your holy Spirit will empower us to understand a little bit further the very nature, the very character of Christ and this nature of the sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we covered the first six verses uh, two weeks ago. And that was dealing with uh, Judas agreeing to betray Christ. And so we move on in verse 7. And we read 7. It says, Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. You notice that, it had to be sacrificed. This was the day, this would be the first day of a feast season. Now, Passover and unleavened bread are kind of synonymous. It's a seven day feast. The first day of that week would be the Passover. And of course, that's what they're going to be celebrating that particular day. Uh, so it's, it's Passover, it's the 14th of Nisan, and it commemorates God delivering his people out of Egypt. They had been made slaves in Egypt, been slaves for quite some time. God appoints Moses to deliver them, he's a type of Christ in that deliverance. Uh, they are liberated into the land of Canaan. How they were able to do that was through the plagues. And by the time it got to the 10th plague, they were to slay a lamb, each family, to kill that lamb, take the blood, put it over the doorpost. And that would save their firstborn child from being killed by the angel of death. And so that was what God planned. And that's how the Israelites, were able to keep their firstborn. All of them did it, they obeyed, and none of them died. So it's a memorial to God's deliverance of his people, and that being the very last of the plagues, and they moved on out. Unleavened bread was to be eaten at that time. It was to be eaten in haste, quickly. Unleavened means it didn't have to leaven, it didn't have to rise, which would take time. They were to make this bread be ready to leave at any moment. And that's the idea of unleavened bread. Also, it means it's a permeating... Leaven is a permeating evil influence. Often, that we see in Scripture. And in this case, there was a permeating evil influence of Egypt. So, this is the last legitimate Passover. As Jesus is going to transform... this Passover into the Lord's Supper. And that's where we're shooting at today. That's where we're heading. That's why it's so exciting. So the unleavened bread, which once spoke of Egypt, it now speaks of His body. And the wine, which once spoke of the deliverance from Egypt, what a transformation. It now refers to His blood, His body and His blood. And that's a transformation. The Lord's table becomes the new symbol here as Jesus awaits this Passover. happens to be Thursday. Jesus is going to eat the Passover on Thursday. He's going to be crucified on Friday. Now, the immediate question is, and we talked about this uh, two weeks ago, about the Passover, if Jesus is eating the Passover on Thursday and his disciples are there with him, there had to be a Passover lamb that was slain on Thursday for them to take of that. But we also know that on Friday, the Passover lamb is going to be slain for each of the families. So what do we do with this? You would think there would be just one day, but in this case... There's Thursday, and there's a Friday, Passover. So, why is he eating this on Thursday? And it is legitimate, Passover, and Friday is legitimate also. He must die when the Passover lamb is being slaughtered at that very moment. So, he eats it on Thursday, That is this Passover they celebrate. And he is the Passover lamb as they slay those lambs on Friday. Now, according to Josephus, a Jewish historian, according to the Mishnah, which is a codification of the Jewish law, explaining what what that means, and there are other historical sources that tell us that the Jews in the north, which are the Galileans, celebrated theirs, what would be on this year, would be a Thursday. And the people in the south, which would be the Judeans, would celebrate on Friday. It, so it would be sunrise to sunrise for the Galileans up north. And that would be Jesus and most of the disciples. And for the Judeans, it would be sunset to sunset. So, the 14th of Nisan was uh, sunrise on Thursday to sunrise on Friday for the Galileans. And it's sunset to sunset for the Jews in the south on that uh, Friday for the southern Jews. So, it was the same day, but it was calculated in two different ways. And that worked well for the Jews, and especially with as many as a million, million plus people in the city of Jerusalem. That makes it a lot easier to be sacrificing those lambs. And so it worked well, and that's just the way that they had uh, counted it. So the Lord can celebrate the Passover on Thursday, and then be the Passover lamb on Friday, as they were slain. So two times that we see there. So that should help answer that, hopefully. So we go to verse 8. And we get to the instructions that are given to two disciples, Peter and John. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat it. They said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water, Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. God is working all the way through here. He's preparing all of this. Jesus tells the two disciples that they are to get the Passover ready. Now, why would he do that? Well, remember in the first six verses, we're dealing with Judas, who's going to betray Jesus. And God has his perfect timing. Had Judas known where they were going to be having this Passover, he would have told the religious leaders when and where to get him. But on Thursday here he doesn't know, he won't know until it's time to start the Passover there at sunset. So he has some teaching to do. He has the washing of the feet and uh, telling them about the Holy Spirit as in John 14 through 16. And uh, of course there's there's a lot of things that have to happen. And Jesus is going to make sure. So he makes this Privy just to the two Peter and John, and so Judas won't know, and also the crowds won't know. Remember, everywhere Jesus go goes, the crowds go also. Well, Peter and John did what they were supposed to do. They never came back. They stayed right where they were at. Of course, Jesus went there. Jesus knew where they were going. So. At that time, then, they would prepare it. He says, go and prepare the Passover. What would that mean? Well, it would definitely mean taking a Passover lamb. The priest would uh, kill that and uh, apply that blood, and then uh, and the meat, it would take a little bit. And then they would take the rest of it, take it back. There would also be some things like the wine, the unleavened bread, parsley, bitter herbs, salt water, and hereseth. And all of that, they're going to prepare and get it ready for this feast. Well, where is it that they're supposed to make these preparations? Well, Jesus doesn't tell them the name of the street or the name of the person. He just says, go into town. And what I want you to do is look out for a man who's carrying water. A jar of water. And follow him back to the house. That's what it says. You know, it they, they, uh, they said in verse uh, 9, word, do you want us to prepare this? He says, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. You've got to love it. They're going, how are we going to do this? There are hundreds of thousands of people there. And he says, a clue, really. What is the clue? Well, he says a man carrying water. Well, there could be a lot of men carrying water, right? Not really. Um, they're thinking, "What? Well, we're just going to walk into Jerusalem and there's going to be someone carrying a jar. That's all they need to know. Is a man carrying the jar of water? Women are the ones who carry the jar of water men carried wine skins, but the women carried the jars of water. And he said, a man is going to do that. So, a little bit unusual that a man would be carrying a jar of water. And it turned out to be, just as Jesus said, as they went into Jerusalem, there he was. So they followed him, went up and into into that room where the owner said, this is it, right here. And... uh, let me lead you upstairs here in the right place. See, the true Passover Lamb is being prepared. The true one is Christ. You see, in 1 Corinthians five seventeen, it says, Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. He is the fulfillment of all these years of that Passover. And here it is. He is the one. So, There were murderous designs of the chief priests and the scribes. Satan was in on this. And of course the betrayer himself, Judas. The true Passover lamb is being prepared for the crucifixion. And God is putting it together in perfect timing. Absolute perfect timing. You've got to be amazed by this. Uh, what a preparation, and he prepared the priest, the chief priest, the scribes, to do their thing, Satan to do their thing. Judas, it's all their own will. at the same time. It's part of God's plan to do this, and when it's going to be done. A sovereign God. Of course, we talked about that in the first six verses here in chapter 22. Now we start in verse 14. The Passover meal. And this is really where it gets very exciting. It says in 14, When the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. When the hour had come, it was sundown. It was the official start of Passover. They would sit in a reclining position, meaning that this is going to be a prolonged meal. It can take hours, the teaching in it, Taking uh, in the meal, singing songs—it's a whole evening, absolute festival that this is. And uh, to do what they did as far as the reclining—that's what it would be. They wouldn't be sitting as regular here. It, it's saying it's going to be prolonged, and so they would lay on their sup- uh, uh, lay on their side, and be supported by their elbows as they would lay their head on their hand and says that Jesus desired to do this in the next verse. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He earnestly desired Desired, desired, really desired this. It's a time of joy. It's a time of fellowship. He still needed to instruct them many things and of course filling in how that Passover feast all these years is now fulfilled in in Him. And then showing the new covenant that has come into place and having the Lord's Supper. So, you can see why He wants to do this. This is important. I really have been looking forward to this, as He says. And so we move into... uh, Sixteen. I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This is the last time I'm going to take this Passover with you until the kingdom of God um, is restored or started whenever he comes back. He'll start the new kingdom. And he'll celebrate this again. He says, this is it. Then he says in 17, And when he had taken a cup, given thanks, he says, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. So a reiteration there. Uh, What we have here now is the Passover is starting. We're showing the order of this Seder this is how it would be done in an outlined form is what we'll give you here Uh, many times Grace Community Church has been involved in the celebration of the Christian Passover really showing how Passover is fulfilled in the person of Christ and that has been a joyous thing to do throughout the years Of course, it would take in everybody pitching in to put that together. We would do it in several places and go to different churches and such. And uh, many people were edified through it. And many times where there were unbelievers hearing this gospel message that comes out of the exodus uh, of the Israelites and then showing this is how Christ fulfilled this. So, we're at the first cup. This is how the order would have gone. Uh, We're going to give you this order all the way through now. Now, verse 17 says he had taken a cup and he gave thanks. Now, there are four cups of wine in the Passover festival. This is the first one. It's called a cup of sanctification. There would be a washing of the hands, showing purification outwardly, showing that Inwardly, we need to be set apart and purified. Well, it's kind of interesting that uh, that very same night, the disciples were arguing who was the greatest, who would be the greatest in the kingdom? And that's whenever Jesus then got down his hands and knees, started washing their feet. He served them in all humility. So quite a a story there of what he did. He had to do that. That was part of this Passover feast. So we've had the cup of sanctification. We've had the washing. And next would be the carpus, which is actually parsley. Could be green vegetables, but it's green to remind us of life, new life, really. It is done in the springtime, of course. Uh, as we do this here today, we're about a week after the Passover, so we're close to this time when it is. And of course, you can look outside. I'm looking outside right now and seeing how green it is. Beautiful that it is. God's given us this, and so it's life, and it's sustained by our Lord God Almighty. And also, it reminds us of the isop that was used to place the blood of the Passover lamb upon the doorframe. So this is what they had been doing for 1,400 years up to the time of Christ here. Then there would be the salt water. And the salt water was representing life in Egypt as the children of Israel were slaves. And they lived a life of pain, a life of suffering, tears. When you have tears, it's salty and wet. And that's what that would represent. Fascinating, also it represented the Red Sea, which was salt, uh, water, and as they crossed it, so uh, a couple of different uh, things that it could mean there. Then there would be the famous four questions, which is really the telling of the story of the Passover. It's the they have a book and show the order of it. It's called the Haggadah. it's the whole story of it. And those four questions, a lot of times if you had kids there, they'd be appointed to uh, ask these questions of why are we doing this, basically. They would have matzah and they'd say, why are we eating unleavened bread when sometimes we eat unleavened bread and leavened bread? Why why this night just uh, unleavened bread? Another one was bitter herbs, why are we eating bitter herbs tonight? And then, why are we dipping the vegetables twice when we don't even dip the vegetables once usually? Why are we doing that? And then another one, why are we reclining when we could be reclining or sitting? At this time, they are reclining. So there'd be different readers then that would tell that story That's really it's coming out of Exodus 12, and then at this time, they would fill their second cup. I'm really dry today, so I've got a cup here that has equal to about four cups. Excuse me. It's that time of the year. I say it's uh, allergies. Anyway, the second cup, as they would go through the 10 plagues on Egypt. They would take this cup and not drink this yet. They would take their little finger and dip it into the cup and then take it, shake it off into their plates. And that would represent kind of like blood. And so they'd go through each one. Each one of those plagues. They got through the tenth, So it's they would see that this was judgment upon the Egyptians then they would say "dianu," which is, it would have been sufficient. So then at that time, the second cup is then drank. It's called the cup of deliverance. And remember this now, this is important. First cup was the cup of sanctification, which sets everything apart. And then the cup of deliverance, which is after the ten plagues, God delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt. So, now next is the matzah. Matzah is the unleavened bread. It's flat. And you'd have three matzahs, three of those together. And the rabbis would call this a unity. Uh, they really don't know the meaning of it. They would throw out different ideas, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or other uh, things, you know, besides the patriarchs, it would be the priests, uh, the Levites, and the people. They didn't really know what it meant. But are you, if you're following me, I think you'll get it. If they're calling it a unity, we see Christ in the triunity or the Trinity. Christ is the Son of God. You have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He is in the middle place of this unleavened bread. It's the middle piece here is who He is. It's called the bread of affliction. In Isaiah 53, He took upon the afflictions. Oh, He is broken. Jesus Christ was afflicted and broken. Now, as I take that second piece out, that middle piece Break it. And you got one piece here that you take and put into a napkin, a cloth. And it's like a burial cloth. If you're following along, you know exactly what we're getting at. They would take it and then kind of like bury it to hide this piece. It'll come back up and at the end. So keep waiting for that. So it's hidden. It's wrapped for burial. Tremendous story. A Christian can see exactly what all this means. This is the Passover feast that Jesus and the disciples were doing. And the Israelites continue to do, even today. So the next thing that they would have would be the bitter herbs, or the marah, bitter merah bitter herbs, better known as horseradish. That's what we always used. And I always said to get it as powerful as you can without blowing people away and not being able to return. But get it to where it is enough that it'll make tears come from the eyes. Horseradish can certainly do that without even trying and so a lot of people would really be looking funny and you would you'd say, you'd say please that's the only way we can do this story right and correctly because it's a part of why would they do that why would Israelites torture themselves by eating this horseradish well let us still remember going back to the exodus how bitter life had been for the children of Israel in the land of Egypt they would dip the matzah the unleavened bread into the bitter herbs and they would eat it it would be powerful and i always had a fun time with this as i would eat it i would see other people literally crying it was pretty powerful stuff so it did its job because it should make you feel the pain it should make you feel what it felt like as far as the uh, I guess you could say the sadness the pain the tears that the Israelites had but there's good news that goes along with this because also there is the hereset now the disciples Peter and John remember they put all this together and so now what they've got is a mixture and uh, it is made of um, apples and cinnamon and honey. It's sweet. And it's kind of like a, a mortar in a way because the children of Israel made bricks, uh, you know, uh, clay is what they used, and they would use a mixture to make these treasure cities from Pharaoh, whatever they built. And so... It was a mixture that they had. That's what the Harriset is. It's a, a mixture that is sweet. And now what they were to do is to take this mixture, this Harriset, and put it on the unleavened bread along with the bitter herbs of the horseradish. Now you eat that, and guess what? It is a total different taste this time. It mellows and balances everything out. The horseradish doesn't blow you away; it's not overbearing, and so that is what we have up to the meal time. This is the meal now, where they actually eat the regular food items. We've had some carpas and bitter herbs, and uh, of course some other things here, the haroset and the matza. But now the real meal. It's very possible at this time. Where we have Judas, maybe leaving the room and going to betray. Somewhere in this area, uh, he definitely was around when he dipped into that mixture. Because uh, uh, as one of the disciples, I think it was John, was asking and and uh, who, who it was, and he said it's the one that just dipped into that mixture. So that's where we're at now. Now we come to what I say is the best, sweetest part of all the Passover. This is absolutely beautiful. And to the church, the Passover finally comes alive because the church doesn't understand the Passover as a whole. Many have been educated on that, but many are not. They don't really know where the the, the Lord's Supper really came from. And it came right here, of where we're at. We've seen all this before. It means a lot, doesn't it? The bitterness, but the sweetness. It's all the gospel here, in how the people have been delivered by God, takes care of them, and the centerpiece just keeps being the unleavened bread. And the wine. So we go to the Lord's Supper is instituted. And it's verse 19 and verse 20. This is what we're all familiar with. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and After they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Beautiful. This is the dessert, folks. This is the third cup. But it's going to be seen in a total different way than before. Because Jesus is giving a new covenant here. This is called the afikoman. Avakoman, which means that which comes after. Yeah, dessert, it's usually after the meal, right? That which comes after. This is the best part, because if you remember, the head of the table, who had taken that middle piece of matzah and had wrapped it up in cloth and then, like, buried it. A lot of times they'd have fun games with kids and they would go hide it and then if the kids found it, they would bring it back. That demand a ransom price for that middle piece of bread, that second half of it. So there was a ransom price. Kind of an interesting story right there in itself. So the Apicoman really is representing... Passover Lamb. This is a vivid picture of Christ. It is broken from the second portion of the unity. And we saw that earlier. It's wrapped in cloth. It's now opened up. And this is representing the sacrifice of Christ. Christ said he took bread gave thanks and broke it gave it to them saying this is my body given to for you do this in remembrance of me Luke 22:19 just beautiful this is Christ saying this is my body this and he's not saying it literally but he's saying this is like representing Christ, He said some other things like He is the light of the world, or He is uh, the resurrection, or He is the vine. Uh, He uses some symbols sometimes whenever He says things, and they mean something. But He is not a piece of bread, but this bread is representing who He is all those hundreds and hundreds of years Now is being seen for what it really was representing. The ultimate sacrifice. And now comes the third cup. We've had two cups in this whole feast. And now we come to the third. This is the one that we take whenever we have the Lord's Supper. It's called the cup of redemption. It recalls the blood of the Passover lamb. This is the cup that Christ used when he establishes the Lord's Supper and institutes it. So in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. This represents the new covenant. So when we take communion, When we take the Lord's Supper, this is what this is meaning. This is the end of all the rituals. It's the end of all sacrifices, the altars, the temple, the priest, the holy place, the holy of holies. You remember the veil that was in the temple that was torn from the top to bottom in half. Threw it wide open for everybody to be able to see inside, to walk in. It's the end of ceremonial rituals. No more priests, sacrifices, altars, temple. It's all gone. It's in Christ. So, the third cup is saying, this is my blood. The bread of affliction. This is my body. The unleavened bread was flat in the sense that it never rose. There was no evil influence there. It had stripes. By his stripes we are healed. And the unleavened bread is this picture of Christ. And we see that there are holes in that unleavened bread, you know, like crackers. He was pierced through for our transgressions. There's a picture of Christ, isn't it? The beauty that is there. Well, we know through other gospel accounts, there'd be a fourth cup. Through their tradition, they prepared to leave. And we know that they, this was the cup of praise and it dealt with Elijah. They had a cup for him. That's all part of their tradition. And then they went out singing a hymn. And that's how they celebrated the Passover that night. Waiting for tomorrow, Jesus is where He will be shown that He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Let's finish this section on out. says in verse 21, But behold, the, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among the, themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Woe to the betrayer. He had been at the table that night Eating with them. He had been with them for three and a half years. This was determined. It was a plan by God. Judas did what he did. He chose to do that. But yet God's plan was that this would be done. It was determined. And he says, woe to that one. That's a high judgmental term. That is equal to being damned. Woe to that one who would betray. We've come to the end. And we see a lot of this is for us. It's all for us, what he did on the cross. So from now on, as far as the church is concerned, after Christ dies, rises, there's a new feast. There's a new ordinance, ordinance that he's done. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of His death. There's a new supper, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. that reminds us of the Lamb of God, chosen by God, sacrificed for sinners, satisfying God's justice. It's a life poured out on behalf of the people who trust in Him who have been granted grace, so that our sins can be fully forgiven. Amen? I hope that we have been edified by this passage. It is tremendous. Thank you for tuning in today. Let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for such an enlightening passage that tells us really what the Lamb of God and who He is, what He does... He is the very one who takes away our sin. And for all those, Lord, that need to put their trust in Him, we pray for them that they would see that this Lamb is there and to put all of their trust and focus on Him because He is their life. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had this morning and the ones who've joined us. And it's been a great blessing. It's all your word, your truth. And we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.